Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the North Point Community Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free North Point app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at North Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Man, I'm, I'm thrilled uh, to be kicking off this series today. I first want to say welcome uh, to all of you joining us from other campuses, uh, strategic partners, different places in the world. Um, I'm actually here at Buckhead Church today with some fine people here in the city of Atlanta. Excited to be here with these folks, but glad you're joining with us. Those of you up at North Point, uh, love you guys as well. Um, Anthem Church down in Gainesville uh, is joining us. Uh, your lead pastor, Jason Lee, sent me a message saying he's excited about this series. I hope by the time we get to the end of it, you're as excited as he is. Um, by the way, we all should be praying for uh, those down at Anthem Church. Um, they're not used to losing uh, to the Tennessee Volunteers. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, we, we, uh, we like to have fun around here. And in this series, uh, we're going to have some fun with a topic um, that involves two pretty extreme and somewhat polarizing uh, positions. And I thought I'd start out, even before we jump into the topic, or I tell you about it, because you may not even know what we're going to talk about. Um, I, I want to use an illustration uh, as to what this could look like. It, you've seen this before, maybe. Uh, you know, th- th- this, as it relates to this topic, there's one perspective that looks at it. And, and they look at almost like what is a shadow. And, and when they look at it, they go, well, that's definitely a circle. Like that, that's for sure a circle. And then there's another perspective of looking at this who would say, no, 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 it's not a circle. It's definitely a square. And each position has its valid points. And it's like from their perspective, it's like, no, no, it's a circle. And no, no, it's a square. And, and, and we could go, yeah, well, maybe you're both right. And, and, and it's because the object looks like this, right? So it's like you go, okay, we could look at this from these two different perspectives, these extreme perspectives. And, and that's one way to do that. And we could try to synthesize the two perspectives, but which I'm, I'm not even sure that's actually possible. Um, but what I want us to do is I want us to potentially look from a, a third perspective, a perspective that, that maybe would be new, a fresh perspective on this. And you'll be happy to know we're not talking about politics, um, but I want to look at a third perspective because maybe this is what some of you are like, this, 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 maybe this is what we're looking at. And so maybe this series uh, for some of us is going to require us uh, not to discard, but, but to suspend some of our preconceived ideas or our personal persuasions or your past tradition. It causes you to see things from a different perspective. And I'm not asking you to discard those or to give those up, but just maybe just to press pause um, as we talk about something that's really important to the Christian life. As a matter of fact, the next few weeks, now we're going to be focusing on the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. The, the invisible person of God. Now, here's the thing. Um, as we talk about um, the Spirit of God in this series, I just want you to know that these two perspectives, the, the circle and the square perspective, they're valid, and they're valid for a reason. And some of you came from these different traditions, and, and this is an overgeneralization, but one can be, uh, can be categorized as more charismatic, and the other one uh, more conservative. And, and here's what's interesting, is those who are the conservatives, they look at the charismatics, and they think that they're, they're strange, and they're super superstitious and they're scary, particularly in their view of the spirit. And the charismatics look at the conservatives and they go, well, your faith is lifeless and faithless and powerless. 
And, and there's these two very differing perspectives on the Spirit. And one of these extremes, I, I think, uh, at, the, at the very edge of the extreme, over-spiritualizes things when it comes to our faith. And the other one under-spiritualizes things. Now, I don't know what tradition you maybe come from, if you came from a tradition. I came from the one that under-spiritualizes. It, it's a, a practical, rational explanation of faith. Others of you may have come from the over-spiritualization category um, where everything was a mystery and, and everything was spiritual and you talked about spiritual warfare and uh, things almost seemed superstitious. But some of you didn't grow up in any sort of Christian tradition. And this is what I'll say. Good for you because this series is going to be the easiest for you. The rest of us are going to struggle a bit. We're going to struggle to allow our minds, not just our minds, but our hearts to be stretched. Um, I have to give one big disclaimer. I'm not an expert uh, in this topic, but I have learned more in the past couple years about this topic than I have in the other 20 years I've been a pastor. And so this was one of those things that was so enlightening and so helpful for me in my faith that I wanted to share it. And here's what I would say is as I've been learning over the last couple of years, I realized that my faith, my faith in the God of the Bible and in, in, in who the God of the Bible is described of is in the scriptures, my faith wasn't in the, the exact representation of what the scripture said when, when it described God. My faith was in the Father who I saw as our heavenly Father who created the world, the Son who gave his life for us, and the Holy Bible. That was, that was my faith, the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, and, and, and which is not terrible. That's, that's not a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's incomplete. I think what we're going to discover is it's insufficient for living out the Christian life and, and no, uh, an absence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and experiencing the this, this, this Spirit um, can be to our detriment. So, so here's the question I want to put on the table. What if, what if our, for those of us who have some persuasion, what if our overly mystified or minimized perspective of the Spirit of God is why we don't witness more evidence of God's power, his supernatural power, his working in our lives and in our world. Because isn't it true um, when something defies logical or medical or scientific or natural laws in the world, when there's something that happens we can't explain, um, when, when all the signs were that, that somebody should not have, have lived or survived, but they did, or, or when someone exhibits an extraordinary ability that, that's beyond human power or beyond human, contrib- uh, 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 hum- human uh, ability or, or natural ability or, or when people um, find peace, that, that indescribable peace in the midst of, of, of chaos in their life or they find joy. You see people in different parts of the world with joy in the midst of their suffering. It causes us to ask some big questions, not just about those circumstances, but about, about the world in general. We, 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 we ask ourselves like, how did that happen? Like, I don't, I don't have a category for that. Science can't explain this to me. How did that happen? Where does it come from? Where did, where did that power or that unique ability or that circumstance or that action, where did it come from? What's behind all this? Or who's behind all this? Or is there something behind all of this? And, and if, I'll just say, if you're, you're not a Jesus follower, my, my guess is you're skeptical about Bible or church or religious answers to these questions. And I'll just say this, uh, to some degree, I, I actually don't blame you. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in this series, but here's what I also want you to know. I'm going to push you because even our scientific explanations, our best scientific explanations, involve their own degree of mystery. I would say even faith. So I want you to hang with me. 
Wherever you are, if you're on one of the extreme spectrums or, or all of this sort of stuff about the spirit kind of is a little bit strange to you, um, I, I'm going to come back to some of the science, by the way, if you're interested in that. In fact, today, um, I know you're going to be so excited to hear this. We're going to dabble in a little astrophysics, a little quantum physics. Anybody excited about that? Like two people. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, the rest of us will struggle through it. Um, but, but Moses, Moses had an answer uh, to a lot of these questions. And, and in fact, that pretty much sums up his aim. His answering these questions is the aim uh, in his writing the book of Genesis. And yes, we're going to go back to Genesis. And we're like, you always go to Genesis. And it's like, I haven't graduated past Genesis yet. So I'm still working, working through that. And, and, and Moses, just for our context, Moses is writing to a group of people. I want to put this in human time and space. These are people that are wandering in the wilderness and they're wondering, what are we doing here? They were happy. They've been rescued out of slavery. They crossed the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness now and it's terrible. And they're out in this place and they're going, how are we here? How did we get here? Who brought us here? What is going on in the world? And Moses writes the book of Genesis to help them understand their history and their heritage. Genesis can be divided into sort of two, what scholars would say, movements. The first movement is, is called origins. It's just sort of how did things begin? It's, it's chapters 1 through 11. And then chapters 12 through 50 are about their ancestors. And so if you think about Genesis, you can think about it in that way. If you have a Bible, by the way, I would love for you to open it and look to, at the words that we're going to look at for yourself. And if, if you don't have a Bible or you don't have the Bible app and you can't afford one, I say this all the time, we'll give you one. I would love for you to have your own Bible. I want you to fact check me on all the things we're going to talk about, we're going to look at. Here's how Genesis begins. Genesis 1.1, very, very familiar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, a couple things about this statement. Uh, in Hebrew, typically, they lead with the things that are most important first. And, and so this statement by scholars is, is considered a, a title statement or a summary. The story doesn't actually begin till verse 2. But verse 1, Moses wants you to know who's behind all of this. He's proposing, here's what, what, what's going on in the world. Now, this is important because in the beginning, this, this beginning is not just the beginning of time. It, it's just the beginning of our world. And this is different. Most people think, oh, is he trying to describe the beginning of time? He's not. He's, you're going to see in a minute. He's just describing the beginning of this world. I want you to think about it this way. Figuratively, if we were going to have a conversation, this is the way Moses would say, hey, way back when. That's kind of what he means by in the beginning. Hey, way back sort of in the beginning of everything that you can see. And you've got to remember. They didn't have scientific models. They didn't know about the universe. They didn't know about galaxies. They didn't know any of this stuff. They didn't know the earth was round. They just saw the sky, the land, and the sea. And that's it. It's like, okay, so everything you can see, way back at the beginning of everything you can see when you look up and you look out. That's what Moses is saying. Now, he says, now the earth, in the beginning, it was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now there's a lot going on here and I'm going to try not to geek out too much, but this is such an interesting phrase and, 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 and phrases. And, and this is a really important setup to what we're going to talk about because um, this is the first line, the first half of the first line of the story that Moses is trying to tell us about who's behind it and how it all came about. The first half, he says, now the earth was formless and empty. The phrase formless and empty is the phrase tohu vavohu. Isn't that fun? Some of you are like, it's not that fun. You should say it. Say it with me. Tohu vavohu. 
Okay, you can do better than that up, up at North Point. You got a lot of people up there, so just say it really, really loud. Here we go. Let's try it again. Tohu vavohu. Okay, tohu vavohu. You're like, why are you teaching me this Hebrew phrase? Because as fun as it is to say, um, it's very, very difficult to translate. And most of our, our, our translations say formless and empty or formless and void, but a lot of work has been done on this. In fact, one uh, notable uh, 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 academic, his name is Dr. Everett Fox. He's a Jewish, um, he's a Jewish uh, professor and scholar, and he's an expert in both Bible and literature. And, and if you want a good read, if you like geek out on this stuff, he wrote a book called The Five Books of Moses. And he looks at it from a Hebrew literary perspective, and he's trying to capture the rhythms and the word plays and the alliterations, the poetry. What he's trying to capture is the integrity of the original text, the original meaning. And now some of you may go, well, I'm not that interested in that. But when, when he does that, he sort of pulls some things out. He spends a bunch of time talking about tohu vavohu. And he says it's better understood in the phrase wild uh, and, and, and waste. What, what Moses is trying to describe is the place that these people are in in this moment. He's trying to describe the wild and waste of the wilderness that they're in the middle of. And they're in the middle of this wilderness, and Moses is going, look, the, the earth was sort of like this wasteland, and it's not a place you want to live. And they're thinking, no kidding, that's where we are right now. And then, and then the, the second thing he talks about is this darkness that was over the surface of the deep, and this darkness and, and deep, this is, this is a different, a second idea. It's coupled together, this uh, dark, the dark and the deep. And these things, basically, he's trying to describe the abyss. We talked about this. If you were around, we did a series on Jonah. And this is, these are two of the most inhabitable places. And he's saying, look, before God got involved, like the world was a wasteland. And it was like this scary, I've told you the scariest thing in the world to me is deep, dark water. It's like the night. You're being dropped in the middle of, of the, the Pacific Ocean. And I've been out there in the middle of the night, and it's terrifying. And you don't, you don't want to be there. And, and, and so he, he's basically describing what he's trying to help them understand is it was uninhabitable. The primary image that's being created for us is in the beginning. What existed, what existed in the world before God in, got involved was chaos. That's what existed in the beginning. It was, it was a chaotic world, and, and, and the text suggests something existed. Now, I know this, for some of you, this is hard because you're like, you grew up thinking that there was nothing, and then there was something, and that's how creation happened. Well, I'm sure at some point there was nothing, but that's not the story Moses is telling. He's saying there's a bunch of stuff going on, and it's, it's chaos. It's like this, this little, little ball of chaos that's happening, and it's not the ex nihilo, like out of nothing God created. I mean, it did, did he need any of those things? I don't know. That's not the point. Moses isn't even trying to get into that. Moses is just saying there was chaos. That's what existed in the beginning. And he goes on. And then here's our word. And the spirit of God, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters or it was hovering over the, the, the wild and the waste. It was hovering over the deep and darkness. It was hovering over the chaos. Now, this is, this is important too. The, the word for spirit in the Hebrew is this word right here. It's, it's, um, it's the word ruach. I'm, running, I'm gonna run out of space today. I, I should have planned this better. Uh, the, the, it's the word ruach. And the word ruah here is, is translated as spirit. And it's attributed to God. It was hovering uh, over, over the darkness. And um, the, the, the word ruah is a very interesting word. Because different than in English, this word can mean a lot of different things. And they're, they're actually all interconnected. The, this word ruah 
It can also mean breath. And it can mean wind. And it can mean conscience or mind. Or this is sort of the seat of your emotions. It's, it's sort of what, what, where your life is, your consciousness is. And, you know, Job, actually, these, are, these all exist in the Genesis story. We don't have time to look at it today. But in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, all of these things exist. In Genesis 1, God is, is speaking with his breath. He's speaking creation into being. Job tells us uh, in, in chapter 2, we're going to look at these, these verses in just a second, chapter 2, that, that, that God, the Spirit of God, made us. He uses the word ruah, the ruah of God made us. And the breath of the Almighty, the ruah of the Almighty is what gives us life. Genesis chapter 2. So we have the, the breath of God. And then, and then in Genesis chapter 3, some of you remember in the story when the man and, the, and his wife are walking in the garden. Remember, there's a description. that They're walking with, in the garden in the cool of the day. If you're new to the Bible, you can go re- read this. It's a fascinating story in Genesis chapter 3. It'll explain a lot about life. But Genesis chapter 3, um, they, God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's how they hear God. And it's the word ruah. It means wind or breeze. And, and that's what, what he, where, where God's presence is in the cool of the day. And then conscience and mind, it's a, it's a third very commonly used in the Hebrew scriptures, um, the word ruah. And, and it can mean mind. It's translated consciousness. It's, 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 um, it's translated heart sometimes, like the seat of our emotions. And, and it's, it's, it's evident in Genesis chapter 3 when the man and his wife, they, they sin. And immediately they recognize, they feel something. They recognize something. Nobody needed to tell them. And they were naked and they were unashamed and they hid. And their, their ruah informed them to do something. Now, all of these words, all of these words have two things in common. And they're pointing towards something. All of these words um, point towards an idea that, that is very, uh, uh, an ancient Hebraic idea that we don't necessarily get. But they have two things in common. They they're, they're all have an invisible essence. I want you to think about this. You can't see them. You know, you can't see, uh, you can't see your breath unless it, it runs into something else, like into the cold, then you can, you can see your breath. But breath in general, when somebody's breathing, like that's why, you, you know, like when somebody's laying down and, you know, when your kids are little, I used to do this all the time. I'd sneak in and I'd put my finger underneath their nose, you know, like to make sure they're breathing because I can't see if they're breathing. And sometimes I can see their chest going up and down, but I can't actually see their breath. And so... You, you can't see breath and you can't really see wind. I mean, you can see leaves rustling, but you can't see the wind and you can't see somebody's conscience. But these, so these things all have an invisible essence, but more important, they're all an animating energy. Okay, now I'm going to make some of you nervous. They're an animating energy. Ruah is an animating energy. Wind, the, the wind can be harnessed and it can, it can move ships, it can move boats, it can create power through a windmill. Our breath, our words are powerful things. They can, they, through leadership, they can create things, they can, they can lead things, they can cause wars. Also, our words are, are powerful things. They can build up, they can tear down. And then our conscience, something you can't see, but, but it, it absolutely informs and influences our behaviors. The, the summary, hang with me, the summary, I believe, of what Moses is saying is that the Ruah of God is this invisible, it, you can't see it, it's this invisible animating energy of God. 
Now, some of you are going, that sounds very new agey. I'm, I'm just reading my Bible today, by the way. I'm not, I'm not informing this by anything else but, but what comes from the scriptures. This is the Ruah of God. It's an invisible animating energy in the world. And we're told that this invisible animating energy, this is like a terrible uh, drawing of wind, but just pretend that's, that's wind. Um, it, it, this, this, this ruah of God is hovering over the tohu vavohu. It's, it's hovering over the chaos of the world, the chaos of existence. And in the midst of that, Moses sets the scene. He says, the spirit of God is hovering over chaos. He's near to chaos. And God, using his ruah, he said, he spoke using his ruah. He said, let there be light. And you're not going to believe what happened next. I mean, if I told you, it's going to blow your mind. So be, brace yourself. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Nobody wrote that down. Nobody's astonished. We've read this way too many times. Like this is, this is amazing. God didn't get into a laboratory his invisible animating energy, his ruah spoke something into being and it was. I was driving in the car with my kids the other day and, and we were late because my wife wasn't with us and we're always late when my wife isn't with us because she keeps us on time and so we're on our way and I'm probably going over the speed limit. I definitely was going over the speed limit and so I'm, I'm driving, I'm hurrying on the way there and there's a red light up in front and I do what, what you've done sometimes. You, you see the red light and you see it coming and you're like, green, green, you do this, right? You like yell at the light, like turn green, green. So I'm saying this out loud, green. And when I finally come to a full stop, because it doesn't turn green, I didn't run the red light. I stopped at the red light. My six-year-old in the back seat goes, dad, you're not very good at that. <laughs> this is amazing. God spoke and it was. It blows our mind and it almost seems unbelievable, but this is the, the power of the, uh, the ruah of God, this invisible animating energy, and God spoke and it was. Now, we don't have time to look at it all. I want you to go back and look at it. It's why I have you open your Bible. It's why I tell you I want one. You, I want you to have one. You need to look at Genesis chapter one and read through it. Don't just take my word for it. But here's what the ruah of God does. As God's speaking, his wind, his animating energy is creating in the world and it creates day, and it creates night. And by the way, everything that God creates, everything subsequent thing that God creates is more advanced and more complex than what he did before. He starts with light and dark, and he creates day and night. And then he creates the land, and the sky, and the seas. And then, and then after that, he creates the trees, and fruit, and seeds, each one more advanced and more complex than the one before. And then he creates fish, and he creates birds, and he creates animals. Again, more, more and more complex, more and more advanced. And then he creates man. And then his most complex, most advanced creation of all, God creates woman. It's in the text. Don't be mad at me. So what is the Spirit of God doing? What, what, what is happening here? Here's what's happening. Is that God is taking the chaos and he's creating order. He started with chaos in the world. It wasn't that there was nothing. 
and his invisible animating energy as he speaks. The power of God's invisible animating energy is creating order out of chaos. And he creates a world that is habitable, that we can live in. And he's telling the Hebrew people, this is the God that just rescued you. This is the God that's asking you to follow him. He creates order out of chaos. Now, if you're here today and you, you don't buy the Genesis account, you're going, okay, well, what about science? I mean, science has a lot to say about this, and specifically physics. And, and you, you've seen this. People get nervous. Preachers and, and church people get nervous, and they're like, oh, you know, all science is bad. And we try to, we try to keep the sacred and the excuse me, the science apart because we think they're at odds with one another. And, and I, don't, I don't know um, the answers to all the science questions, but I see a lot more continuity than I see difficulty in these. The, the dominant theory, just hang with me for a minute, a little bit of cosmology, astrophysics, and then a little bit of quantum physics. Astrophysics is like the bigness of the universe, and there's a, there's a, a physics professor in our audience, I'm sure, somewhere that's going to roll over in their grave when I simplify it down this much. But their astrophysics is like the bigness of the universe, and what can we learn about the bigness? And then quantum physics is like the, the tiniest stuff in the universe, and what can we learn about where everything came from and these questions related to this? We're told that in the beginning... There was this like ball of energy. Sound familiar? This ball of energy, this infinitely dense collection of energy. And it was called a singularity. That's what existed. Like, like in the beginning, like maybe not before time, but, but in the beginning, maybe in the beginning of time, but we don't, we don't really know. And in fact, scientists would say, we're not, we're not sure. It, it doesn't seem like there was time before that, but we don't know. And, and in this infinite, uh, it was intense, the, the heat was intense. In this, in this infinite ball of energy, um, there was a random change in this energy. By the way, if you're interested, it's called quantum fluctuation. Quantum fluctuation. You can, you can uh, surprise all your friends and make them, make them know you're really, really smart uh, tomorrow at the, at the water cooler. But quantum fluctuation triggered this ra- ra- rapid explosion. And we all know this as the... Come on, people. We all know this as the... You can say it in church. It's okay, I promise. The Big Bang Theory. So this is, this is, like, this is known as the Big Bang Theory, and this is, this is sort of what happens. Like there's this, there's this Big Bang that, that happens. And, and what happens after the initial explosion, which was incredibly hot, the earth began to cool. This is the theory. The earth began to cool and, and allowed subatomic particles, which we're going to come back to that in a minute, these subatomic particles to begin to cool, and they began to form into bigger and bigger things, bigger and bigger structures. And eventually these subatomic particles ended up becoming things like planets and, and, and they became stars. And, and we, we eventually had a universe. And, and, then, and then there was eventually the, the, the kind of the star of our, of our universe is the sun. There was a sun that came. And, and then not far after that, uh, the earth, the earth was born. And, and the earth is an interesting thing because um, when it comes to the earth, there, there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of explanation of how, how it exactly happened. But, but the reality is, is we have this earth that, that was born through this, what's, what's, what's actually called inflation in, in physics. 
And I know some of you are getting bored, so I'm trying to go fast. But, but, but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, this is, this is the theory. And, and, and it would say that, you know, like, like you know, about, I, I think they say somewhere around 10 billion, 9.5 billion years after the Big Bang Theory, we have the Earth. And we don't know a lot exactly about how it all happened in between there. But, but here's, here's some, some scientific verifiable fact that we know about the earth. The earth gets about 99% of its energy. About 99% of its energy comes from the sun. And, and measured over decades, it only fluctuates by one-tenth, one-tenth of a, of a percentage per decade. It's very small. It's, it's very consistent, very constant. The earth is 93 million miles away from the sun. I checked it this morning. It's 93.238 billion miles um, away from the sun. And it fluctuates between 91 and a half. This is important. And 94 and a half. You, you need to know this because if it gets outside of that range, it's not good for us. 91, uh, 91 million miles from the sun, no life on earth. 95 million miles from the sun, no life on earth. It's, it's incredibly constant how the, the world, the, our world that we live in, it, it stays inhabitable because it fluctuates between 91.3 and 94, or 91.5 and 94.5 million miles from the sun. Not only that, we have this really awesome thing in our, our universe. It's, it, it's, it's in our, our world, actually. Um, it's called the moon. And we all know that there's a little guy sitting on the moon that's fishing because we watch movies. And so um, we have this moon. And some of you will get that later. It's a slow burn. Um, there, we have this moon. And you, don't, you may not know this. You don't remember this. The moon actually creates an axial tilt to the earth. And that's why the earth keeps spinning. And it's 23 and a half degrees precisely. It's not like it doesn't change. It's precisely 23 and a half degrees. And it has to stay that way. Or else what will happen is a tidal lock. I'm, I'm not smart. I'm, I'm a Googleologist. I'm just really good at like research. And so the, what happens is that you'd have this tidal lock. And, and you'd have half of the, the earth would face away from the sun. And half of it would face the sun. Half of it would get scorched. And half of us would freeze to death. And it would be not good. There'd be no life on earth. You see, this is, this is amazing. Here's what's interesting is even this scientific explanation, it, it, it describes the beginnings of the world as moving from chaos into order, some extraordinary order. The question is, how does this happen? Where, where did this come from? Like, we, we don't know, actually. The quantum physicists would tell you, we don't ex know exactly how, how, how that happened. And, and we don't know how this all sustains and it stays in a place because it, it changed for so long and the, the universe is still changing. What holds it all in a place? One uh, attempt at that, 1904, J.J. Uh, um, Thompson. J.J. Thompson in, in, uh, in 1904 uh, was the first one to split the atom. We thought the atom was the smallest, um, the smallest basic uh, unit of matter in the universe. And he, he was able to split the atom, which, by the way, an atom is really, really small. Like, the earth is to a baseball, okay? Earth is to a baseball as a baseball is to an atom. It, 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 you'd have to be one, one billionth of an inch tall to see it. If you're from Boston, you'd say, it's wicked smart, wicked small, it's wicked small. It's not, it's, it's, it's not and, and, and it is wicked smart. It's like, it, it, it's this energy. And, 
We discovered that when you split the atom, you get quarks. And this is the funny thing is they're really interesting. Um, but you split the quark and you get something else. And then we found out we could split that thing and we could split that thing. And decades ago, we, we passed a hundred subatomic particles trying to figure out the answers to the questions like where did this all come from and how did it happen? How did we get this? And how did this create this? And what's sustaining this? And quarks, these, these subatomic particles are really, really strange. In fact, they're, they're the OG quirky, like these, these things. And, and, and they're really strange. They're so strange that we've, we've witnessed them uh, appear in one place and disappear and reappear in another place. And they did not travel the space in between. We've, we've witnessed one quirk in two places, not a clone of it, in two places at the exact same time. In 1987, after about 100 years studying sub- subatomic particles, one physicist said, hey, we, we don't know where the whole universe came from. We know it's derived from some sort of creative energy, some creative energy with unique personalities that's uncontainable. He's beginning to sound a bit like Moses. Like this is the way the world came to be. There's an invisible animating energy. There's common ground here. There's an invisible animating energy that's creating. So some of you are going, what does this have to do with me? Our last couple of minutes. Here's what this has to do with you. This is what this has to do with me. If we read down after God creates everything, we get down to verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. To be like us. For us to have the ability to relate to him. For it, man, to have this invisible animating energy in him as well. If you flip to chapter 2, we get a, uh, chapter 2 is sort of a parallel version of the creation story. At the end of chapter 2, we, we get this description. It said, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Everything in creation, by the way, it fits into one of two categories. It, it, it's either material or it's immaterial. Day and night are immaterial. Trees, fruit, and seeds are material. Everything in creation is either material or it's immaterial. It's physical or it's non-physical. Except you. Except for humanity. Humanity is both physical and spiritual. You see, when God formed the man... Adam is the name. I have a brother named Adam, which is cool. He's sitting here today uh, in the audience. Adam is, is the word for man. Uh, and it comes from where we came from. He formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Adama is the Hebrew word. He formed Adam from Adama. And when he formed, he, he created this physical form. There's no life. There was no life in this physical form. And then God, Breathe the breath of life into Adam, and the Adama became a living being. All of creation is a reflection of its creator, but only humanity possesses the essence, the ruah of God in our lives. God doesn't possess, this is an important theological idea, and that just means what do we believe about God? God doesn't possess a spirit. His essence is spirit. 
We go, oh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and then there's this holy other person we don't talk about very much. No, no, that's the essence. That's the essence of who God is, is his spirit. It's what was hovering in the beginning. The spirit is central to our relating to God. It's not one-third the person of God. It's, it's, it's critical to us knowing and relating to God. And here's why. God doesn't just possess the spirit. His essence is spirit. And you are first and foremost a spirit, not a body. You were created in the image with the essence of the spirit of God and by the spirit of God. That means even if you don't believe in Jesus, here's what you need to know. Spirituality is not a religious thing. It's a human thing. It's why there's so many different endeavors, spiritual endeavors. People say all the time, well, I'm not, I'm not religious or I'm not a Christian, but I'm, but I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. Well, that's true. You are. Moses is trying to describe, well, what's the nature of that spirituality? Here's the, here's the thing you need to know. It's even in our physical human relating it's, it's in its essence driven by spirituality. Our thoughts and our feelings and our desires, our decisions, they drive our actions and our behaviors. Don't miss this. You have an invisible animating energy inside of you that drives what you do and where you go and how you operate. It's the basis of all your relating. And this separates humans from all other living beings. Most other living beings, they operate out of instinct, not humans. We have the ability to choose. We have the ability to strategize. We have the ability to use our brain and our conscience and other influences to decide. And our spirit creates not only a unique ability for us to live and operate in the world, but it also creates a unique ability for us to relate to God. You see, the Ruah, the Ruah of God is his invisible animating energy. Don't make that, don't let that be weird. That's not a weird thing. It's just, this is how Moses describes it. And his breath, as we saw today, God's spirit, it's creating. And it didn't just create once, it continues to create. That's how we gain life in the spirit. We're going to pick up on this next week. But this is how the scriptures describe when we place our faith in Jesus. God gives us his spirit. He breathes new life into us. We come to new life in Christ by the Spirit of God. We have a new ability to connect with God, a new connection with God, a new ability to allow our lives and our conscience and our thoughts and our feelings to be taken over, to be governed by God as opposed to governed by something else, something that would create or take us back into chaos. And God's creating new all the time, new life. He's giving new life. And, and as with his wind, he's empowering. We're going to talk next week specifically. We're going to focus on, you've heard this phrase maybe before, what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Who's filled with the Spirit? And how do you get filled with the Spirit? And do I need to go somewhere and somebody pour something on me? Like, how does that work? Like, how am I filled up? How do I, if, if the Spirit of God is his invisible animating energy, how does it empower in me in my life? We're going to talk about that next week. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about it as in our conscience. Uh, God's spirit, his animating energy is a guiding spirit. And when we walk by the spirit, God's spirit has the ability to guide us. It represents the spirit of God. I want to reframe this for us. It, It represents God's personal presence in our world today. God the Father sent his son Jesus to earth uh, to sacrifice his life. And when he left, he said, it's better that I go. 
Because when I leave, and, and they're going, how can it be better? I mean, Jesus, you're here with us. He's going, no, no, when I leave, the essence of God, the essence of who I am, the essence of the Father, the essence, the Ruah of God, the Spirit of God, he will come and he will inhabit you. In Paul's 13 letters, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit of God 150 times. You see, we have to understand the Spirit of God. Paul says in one place, in him we live and we move and we have our being. At the end of all of God's creating, in contrast to the opening line of the chaos, he paused after creating everything and he said what? He said, after looking at all, he said, he paused and he looked at it and he said, it is good. It's good. And most of us know what happened next. The man and first humans, they were tempted. And they were tempted to go their own way, follow their own way, live based on their own intuition and desires and feelings, to be their own God, not to allow God by his spirit to govern their spirit and their life and their conscience and guide them in life. And it reopened the door to chaos in their lives. Come on. Isn't this what we do? Can anybody relate to this? This is what we do in our lives and in our relationships. When I decide I'm going to govern me, I invite chaos into my life. This week in my marriage, there's a scripture that says, this is what you do. Guys, you need to live with your wives according to knowledge. This is in Ephesians 5. Live with your wives according to knowledge basically means you need to pay attention because I already told you, the most advanced and most complex thing that God created is woman. You need to pay attention. Live with your wives according to knowledge. Know what makes her upset. Know what makes her happy. Know what's bothering her. Know when she feels lonely. Know when when she needs something from you. You need to pay attention. And when you don't, and when I didn't, I bring chaos into my relationship. But the Ruah of God, he's near. He's hovering. He's breathing new life into us, empowering us to endure, to grow, and guiding us toward what is good in the way that we live. So I want you to lean in. As we talk about what it looks like for us to be filled with this invisible animating energy, the power of the unseen God in our lives, and to allow him to guide us in our lives. That's what we're gonna talk about the next few weeks. Here's the good news. God is hovering over your tohu, vavohu, whatever your chaos is. And he meets us in our chaos. He brings new life. He empowers us to live this life. And he guides us toward the best ways of life. Let me pray for you. God, I pray somehow today that um, you'd re-engineer in our consciousness, our brains. You'd, you'd flood within us that we would sense and know your nearness and know that this is an important thing. I'll just say for me, for so long, I, I, I've misunderstood how to access your leading and your guiding and your power filling me and empowering me in my life. And um, I just pray, just even as we've reframed things today, that many of us would gain comfort from just knowing that you're hovering over our chaos. I pray for somebody who's here watching online or, or maybe in another state or another country today and they've never known your nearness. I pray that maybe today they would open their hearts a little bit to the fact that you want to recreate them. 
You want to recreate the chaos or the loneliness or the confusion or the darkness or the deep or the abyss they found themselves in. And you want to bring order from that. You want to lead them towards goodness and consistency and health. You want to sustain them and grow them and guide them. Pray maybe for somebody for the first time today, they would choose to surrender as they listen today, maybe this is the thing they've sensed all along is, is that there is this invisible animating energy that's creating and guiding and orchestrating and, and they've wanted to learn to tap and connect into it. I just pray that today you would whisper to them that you're near, that maybe they would reach out because you're not far. And when they reach out, they would find you as the scripture tells us when we reach out for you. And that they would begin to the experience as they surrender to you the creating, the recreating of them from the inside out for your goodness and for your glory. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.